Shumai Kreuzer, welcome to the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket podcast with me, Ali Maurice Chivers. In this week's Yes Ministers episode, our guests are three famous names from the world of politics. Taking time out of their busy schedules to join Stephen Hedges, our First Minister Mark Drakeford, his predecessor Carwin Jones and Health Minister Vaughan Gething. As well as reliving some of their childhood and early adult memories of watching them playing cricket, each will offer a message of hope and support for the recreational game in Wales in light of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, well, I would definitely would have discovered cricket very early on in my uh, life uh, because, you know, in some ways I was lucky to be brought up when I was, where children had more freedom uh, than they have today. So we played cricket on the street, uh, just outside the house, you know, with stumps chalked on the wall. Uh, and ran back and forth across the road in a way that you wouldn't be able to do today. So uh, I will have played cricket from, from as early as I can remember, really. Uh, the apocryphal story that was always told was that uh, the cricket square had been dug up to make a better rugby playing surface. <laughs> so the only sport that was ever encouraged in Kamarin Boys Grammar School was the playing of rugby. And no, I don't remember cricket being played there at all. But by then, you know, my, my father, my grandfather, they were all very interested in cricket, taken me already to see Glamorgan play before I went to secondary school. By then, I was interested more as, you know, a follower of Glamorgan. Well, it was the 1975 Australians uh, who came over here, Dennis Lilly and uh, Jeff Thompson, of course, as fastballers. I remember them uh, playing. But the first series I remember watching from start to finish was the famous Fire of Babylon uh, series, 1976, when the West Indies came. Uh, and I remember you know, some of the fantastic players they had, Viv Richards, you know, Clive Lloyd, and the bowlers, Michael Holding, Andy Roberts, you know, those, those incredible players that uh, put the fear of God, frankly, into so many of the batsmen uh, that, that summer. I think the only one who stood up to them was, was David Steele, who had the look of a bank manager, grey hair, myself, uh, glasses, and he knocked the century off uh, the West Indies bowling. And of course, Brian Close, who <laughs> 45 years old, opened the batting and was basically, you know, little more than a, than a shield, uh, taking the, uh, the, the, all those balls from, uh, from the West Indies attack. My very first memory is of going to Senesli when Glamorgan played uh, three-day matches, still there. And in my memory, Jeff Jones was bowling to Trevor Bailey. So that'll tell you how long ago it was. So I was definitely still in primary uh, school and my father and my grandfather, uh, we went together. I was sick all the way there and all the way back because I was a very poor traveler as a child in the car. Somewhere, I think my dad told me years ago that it was Glamorgan's last uh, three-day game in Flanelli. Viv Richards was my great hero because he would just saunter out to the crease, you know, chewing gum as he went looking as if he was on a Sunday stroll and then knock off a double century. Ian Botham, I remember watching his first test against Australia in 1977. He was a young man, uh, unheard of, and you know, he made an impression then. But of course, he was the great all-rounder. You know, the last test batsman that I can remember would wander on with nothing on his head. And I remember him hitting Craig McDermott for six first ball against Australia in 85 in that uh, Ashes series. So uh, when he was at his best... There was no one to beat him. What a wonderful, wonderful team he was. And I saw a lot of cricket uh, that year. I think 
one of the greatest innings I ever saw was in Gloucester. So well, it was in Cheltenham, it was against Gloucester. And it was on a rain-affected pitch. Mortimer and Allen, the two great Gloucestershire spinners, were bowling. And Majid Khan was batting. And I think he made, you know, 65, 66, something like that, out of a score of about 120 in Glamorgan won the game. And I've heard interviews with, with Majid uh, since, saying that he preferred batting on poor wickets because you had more time to see the ball coming off the wicket. <laughs> well, you certainly needed it that day because he was coming off in all shapes and sizes. Uh, and it was a fantastic innings. One of the greatest I've uh, personally I've ever been in the ground and seen. You know, we were so lucky uh, to see players like Majid, Roy Fredericks. I remember, you know, I was very young still. Right? I was in my teenage years. So I, I was in St. Helens and it rained in St. Helens. And we all went into the pavilion and uh, the test match was on, on the TV there. And I ended up sitting very close to Roy Fredericks, and he was watching the Indian openers uh, bat. Uh, and he, was, he just kept saying, oh, man, they're just afraid. <laughs> and, you know, he was the opposite, wasn't he? You know, never afraid of anything. And a wonderful bowler. I, as a child, I used to debate in my own mind, who did I want to be? Did I want to be Martin Khan, or did I want to be Roy Fredericks? Terribly difficult dilemma when you're 13. Uh, to know who you're going to be, but what 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 luck to have seen players like that and and players like Tony Lewis uh, and Alan Jones. If you're talking about batting, aren't you? You know, wonderful players to watch. I I spent a lot of time uh, under the bedclothes uh, during the winter of 1970, uh, listening to the radio with Tony Lewis captaining uh, England, where I probably shouldn't have been, uh, but. Uh, yeah, all of that. And I, I, again, if you just think of things you remember, I, I went to St. Helens again. And again, he was against Gloucester. And the wicket was rain-affected. I don't think they were uncovered. I think the rain must have got under the covers or something. And Gloucester were batting, and Don Shepherd was bowling at one end, and Peter Walker was bowling at the other. Uh, and you've got catchers like Roger Davis and around the wickets. And you know, mesmerising, really, watching the bowling. Uh, and fantastic. So yes, you know, I got many, many memories, really fantastic memories of of that side and that era. I vividly remember the seventy-seven Gillette Cup final uh, and watching that because, of course, you know, in those days, cricket was it was on grandstand, so everybody could watch it. Everybody talked about it. The great sadness now is it hasn't got quite the same reach as it did then. And I remember Alan Jones and John Hopkins uh, coming out to uh, to bat. I remember Mike Llewellyn and the six he hit off John Embury uh, straight over the pavilion. And then, of course, Markham Nash getting Mike Brealy for, uh, first ball. Uh, and then, you know, Collis King. I, I spoke to Alan Jones about Collis King. saying, you know, Collis had the safest hands imaginable. He dropped the dolly from Clay Radley. And, of course, we all know then what what, uh, what happened. And, sadly, Glamorgan lost. But at the time, Glamorgan weren't doing well, you know, particularly in three-day cricket. So to get to the final, it was a really big event in Wales. I remember it. I watched Test Match cricket from early on so in those days it was players like Ken, H- Ken Higgs and David Brown and I went to university in Kent in Canterbury and I partly went there I, I only had three criteria really for choosing a university I wanted to go to a new university I wanted to study Latin and I wanted a first class cricket ground uh, and uh, 
Canterbury was the only place that managed to have all those three things. Uh, I saw Colin Cowdery very late, very late in his career, make 150 against the Australians. Uh, and that's, a, that's something to remember. When I went to live in Swansea, particularly in my early 20s, I spent a lot of time in St. Helens. I remember the game against Worcestershire. I think it was, a, it was one of the limited overs games, not the Benson Hedges, the other one at the time. And that West Bank trophy, I think. And yes. I remember them playing Worcestershire and in a rain-affected game, Worcestershire were 43 for two off 24 overs at one point. It was an incredible display of bowling because he had Steve Watkin. He had a role in the fair, but was you know, the most economic bowler you could possibly want to have in limited overs cricket. And then, of course, Adrian Dale, you know, Croft, you know, Richards, all, all these, incre- Steve Barwick, all these incredible uh, bowlers who all came together at the same time. I did reread Peter Walker's uh, autobiography. Peter died, didn't he, you know, earlier uh, this year. And I, in a very small way, I got to know him a little bit because being an, uh, an Assembly member, um, you get quite a lot of clubs contact you and, and there were a couple of clubs, particularly from young people from sort of Bangladeshi communities in, in Cardiff West, where, where I live, uh, who were keen to, to play a tournament and things like that, but they needed equipment to do it. Uh, and uh, well, I said, well, look, I'll, I'll ask, you know, I'll, I'll see if there's anything in Glamorgan that, that could help. And it was the time when, when Peter was the president. Uh, of the club and he was fantastic he was so helpful and and went out of his way to make sure that you know these young people got what they needed and were encouraged and everything like that so so i, I thought he was a he was a wonderful cricketer and, you know in in that all-round way he found phenomenal catcher obviously but more more than just as a player when i got to know him in that little way i, I admired a lot uh, the way in which you know he went out of his way to help Welcome to the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast. Vaughan Gethin, member of the Senedd, Minister for Health and Social Services, and perhaps most importantly for this podcast, a cricket lover. Hi, Vaughan. Hi, how are you? I'm okay. We're going to try something a little bit different this morning with you, if that's all right. So these are six quick questions that we want a, a brief, simple answer to. They may need a little bit of thought, so uh, do pause for thought. But I won't have any follow-up at all. We'll just put those questions out there. Question number one, favourite batsman of all time? Viv Richards, no question. I was born in 74. Uh, when I was three, four, David Gary and both of them, they were making their test debuts and it was the rise of the West Indies under Clive Lloyd. And so Viv Richards unquestionably is my favourite. My honest, the honest truth is that my favourite bowler is Joel Garner. Botham was such a big figure. I remember Botham's Ashes, I was seven at the time. Imran Khan, Richard Hadley and Kapil Dev, you know, the four great all-rounders that era. And you could easily make a case for any and all of those. But really, my favourite, when I go back to who would I love to see, who would I love to meet and to talk cricket with, then, as well as King Viv, then I'd definitely like to have an opportunity to talk to Big Joel as well. Favourite place to watch cricket? So somewhere from the boundary rather than in the house, because for all the home comforts, to hear everything that's going on, to see what's happening and to be able to talk about the game with other people who are there to do the same thing is, is really where I'd like to be. Favourite first class county? Glamorgan. Although I started living in the West Coast, so Somerset were always my favourite, but I always followed Glamorgan. My father was Welsh and he told, and part of the reason I love cricket is my dad, because he brought us up on stories of watching cricket uh, and interestingly, I was born in Zambia, 
And Glamorgan came on a pre-season tour that took in Zambia and players stayed with families. And so I think it was Tony Cordell at the time stayed with our family. I wasn't born, but my older brother Howell was. And so my dad would regale us with stories of having cricketers in the house um, and Mr. Cordell bouncing Howell on his knee saying a reminder of his son. And then I met Alan Jones and I said, I think this is when the tour was. And the dates matched up, and he said, yes, I think that's right. We were in Zambia at the time. So Glamorgan are the county I would really like to see progress. And so if you ask me who do I support, then I would say Glamorgan. Favourite cricket format? Oh, test cricket. I think that's when you get most from the game and all of the things that can change throughout it. I mean, the ebb and flow of a 50-over game can change a bit, but over five days and the ability to see people in different conditions and different challenges in a way that you don't quite get that in white ball cricket. So it's still, for me, test cricket. Last question, last ball of the over. Um, if there was one game or one moment or one situation that you could travel back in time to watch live, what would that be? As much as my favourite bowler and batsman were Joel Garner and Viv Richards, I would still want to go back to Botham's Ashes. I'd want to be there at the end when Bob Willis knocks the stumps over um, and runs off like a, you know, a, a glazen-eyed lunatic. There are other things you could choose. So I loved watching England win the World Cup um, and seeing the England Wales cricket team and the diversity of it. And uh, that was an amazing moment. My son came in and watched it. My wife came in and watched the end of the game as well. But I was a bit older than my son when Botham's Ashes was. And so to go back then to being in love with the game, coming home from school, um, when there was still a rest day on a Sunday and there'd, there'd be cricket on the Friday and then on the Monday or the Tuesday as well if the game lasted. And to watch some cricket after school, I'd always get back and want to turn the TV on, watch the cricket, play cricket in the garden with my brothers, come back and watch more cricket. And it's that time that I really remember that as, uh, not just when I found the game interesting, but my lifelong love of the game comes from them. So... If you ask the other guys my age who love cricket, you may get a lot of people choosing both of ashes, but it's that moment at Headingley and it's Bob Willis knocking over um, the stumps to finally deliver the unbelievable victory. And I did notice that at some point you wanted to be a professional cricketer. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. When I was at school, at primary school, I, I didn't want to be a politician. I wanted to be a cricketer. I guess if it's your job, everything's a bit different. Um, but I've always loved playing cricket at any and every level. Who did you play for? What was the club? Oh, so I started off playing for Broadwinds Cricket Club, who are still going. And then I moved to play for Beminster. Uh, this is in Dorset. And I played a small amount of youth cricket um, for Dorset at under 15. I played a handful of games for them. When I was at school, 14-15, I would go to Nets. Um, at least once, if not twice a week. I would play for the school. Um, we'd have school nets practice in the week. Um, you could get the bats up and do that. You'd have nets practice with the club. Uh, and then hopefully a game or two for the school. Then there'd be uh, a youth cricket game on the weekend. And there'd be uh, an afternoon game on the Saturday and the Sunday. So I was playing a competitive game at least four times a week. Um, I just couldn't get enough of it. So then I moved to Cardiff. I played for the Mid-Wessex Cricket League, pick of the league team, and I opened the bowling for that team for the games in the one season. And then I, uh, unfortunately, I went away 
I did my A-levels, I went away to do a year of voluntary work, and then I became ill towards the end of that year. I had a kidney disease. I've never been quite the same physically. It took a long time to recover. And I then ended up moving to Cardiff. I played for Cardiff YMCA, and then I played for Cardiff Cricket Club for the fifth, and then eventually I opened the bowling for the thirds for a few years as well. But I've made lots of friendships playing cricket, and I saw lots of South Wales that I wouldn't otherwise have seen because you go and play sport and you meet people you wouldn't otherwise meet. Yeah, it's been a big part of my life. What's given you most pleasure? Playing, watching, listening or reading about cricket? Well, I love doing all those things. Uh, my dad got me cricket books uh, and I loved reading about um, stories and players. People I'd never heard, so I wouldn't have heard of Victor Trumper, for example, if it hadn't been for a book that my dad bought me about great cricket matches. Um, I love listening to the cricket, so I'll have test match special on every now and again when I'm working. Uh, and I obviously love watching cricket, but really... My preference would always be to be able to play cricket if I could. And uh, my son's now doing Cricket All-Stars and he really enjoys cricket. He's a lefty and he's uh, more in the Chris Gale mould than uh, David Gower when it comes to wanting to hit the ball. But um, I'd love to be able to play cricket again with him at some point. And now to see my son enjoy cricket is a really good thing for me because he's, you know, I haven't made him do it. Encouraged him to see if he likes it. He's got good hand-to-eye coordination, loves hitting the ball. His name is Isaac, and I hope he gets lots of pleasure from the game, as I have done, regardless of what level he ends up playing at. Yeah, I think the All-Stars has been really impressive. When I was Isaac's age, cricket was on the TV, but then there are only three, three channels when I was his age. Uh, so actually, your choices were limited, and cricket being one of the games, it was something that was there and you could watch freely. Um, so I think having more cricket on free-to-air TV is really important for the growth of the game. Cricket's going to survive. You need people at primary school age to have an affinity for the game and not just be told there's a game that you never see unless you watch it on Sky, and then you've got to choose not to watch the football or the rugby or something else. So these are future cricket fans and future parents of future cricket fans as well. I mean, I had misgivings about the 100, but it's a deliberate attempt to get more people to be in love with the game. And I wanted to succeed because if it does, there'll be exciting cricket for lots of people to watch and there'll be people who can go along and get involved in the game and hopefully engender the total love that I have for it and be a bit more interested in other formats as well. Well, I think the thing I like most about it, which is why I would watch a, um, a four-day game rather than anything else. It is the, it's the ebb and flow of a game, isn't it? The, the fact that over four days, uh, the, the game takes so many twists and turns that there are any number of uh, outcomes possible and a, and, a, and a draw can be amazingly exciting. Uh, you know, if you're there in that last hour when a team is trying to hang on, uh, and save a game and have a draw, that is, that's, that's the fascination of the game for me. And every game is potentially different in that way. You can have a very exciting one-day game. And a great one-day game is a great game. You know, uh, great players are great players. I could watch Robert Croft bowl in any game. You know, in a 2020, every ball would be interesting, wouldn't it? You could see him thinking. You could see him trying things. things like that. So even in a even in a form of the game which tends to be more of a formula and where there's less opportunities for games to, you know, as I say, ebb flow and all of that. Nevertheless, if you're, uh, if you're watching a great player, you're watching a great player.
The first thing you have to do, I think, is get into the mindset of a game that's longer to play. Uh, and for those who are new to cricket, I suppose, you know, T20 is the entry um, experience uh, that leads on to, uh, to longer cricket. Uh, for me, it's just the, the battle, you know, the unpredictability ball by ball, the unpredictability of how the ball's going to behave throughout the day as well. You know, will the pitch uh, rough it? Will it take some turn? You know, what's going to happen in terms of cloud conditions? How will that affect swing? All these factors that don't exist really in other sports. I mean, you know, if you watched a football match, you wouldn't be thinking, well, the clouds coming over now, so that'll make a difference to conditions. You wouldn't be thinking, well, you know, the pitch is, uh, there's, there's a little bit of cracking over there. That's going to make a difference to the game. You know, that's what, what, what makes cricket so different. The, the, the pitch itself and the climactic conditions are far more dominant in terms of how the game can be played and how players have to adapt to it than I think any other sport. When I come back in the next life, I'm going to be a cricket groundsman. I've, I've, already, de- I've already decided when I come back, that's what I'm going to be. So it, it, maybe there is some connection uh, there that you know, all those uh, years of grief on my Pontcana allotment <laughs> could be put to, to use creating the perfect square at Cardiff or St. Helens. My grandfather always joked, really, with my, my father. This is my, my mother's father always used to tease me and my father that he was the only member of our family who'd ever been to Lords. Uh, whereas we were cricket mad and he didn't like cricket, but he wasn't very interested. But he'd been to Lords. Uh, he'd been there in 1917 uh, when he had been called up to the, to the Air Force from Trilech in north, uh, northwest Gamadija. I don't think he spoke a word of English. Uh, but he was called up and he was put in the Air Force in London. He went to Lords in 1917 and fell asleep. Uh, so that was his claim to fame for cricket. And he dropped me into, into Fire Gardens and the Morgan were 44 for two when we arrived. I remember Tony Lewis and Alan Jones were batting. And I, I sat under where the old scoreboard used to be and uh, David Shepherd was fielding right in front of us. That's what you need to be a proper cricketer. You need hands as big as that. Just finished watching the series against Pakistan. I'll watch any type of cricket. I'm a, I'm a little sceptical uh, of T20 still and, and the 100. You know, how easy do you want to make it for batsmen just to keep on belting the ball out of the ground? That's not what cricket is. It's not about seeing you know, how many sixes you can hit in one inning. Surely it's got to be a, a battle between bowler and, and, and batsman. Uh, so I'll, but I'll watch any type of cricket. I, th- I think you would have to be watching. I like listening. I, you know, I've listened to Edward Bevan and Don Shepherd for many years and uh, oh, you know, I, I like listening to cricket a, a lot. But if I had to choose, uh, then the greatest pleasure I would have had would have been you know, watching, watching the, the great players and the great games. I'd, I'd take watching Matthew Maynard over listening or reading or playing, definitely. The decisions I was closest to were in relation to bringing Ashes tests to Cardiff uh, and also working with Glamorgan. They had a difficult time financially when the Sri Lanka test uh, came and that you know was a but was, wasn't financially successful. Uh, getting another Ashes test was really important to help to to fill the coffers in Glamorgan. I, I spent time talking to Hugh Morris, Chief Executive, of course, and uh, and the, the ECB, uh, and we brokered a deal then to uh, bring Test cricket back to Cardiff, and that was important for for Glamorgan and uh, and great to see a return. I've always myself been part of that group in Glamorgan supporters who, you know, wanted to see as many 
much players as possible in the side and would rather see a couple of years where we mature those players and bring them on rather than relying on importing players from other counties sometimes towards the end of their careers and things to give a temporary uh, bolster to the side and you know I, I know you've got to have a balance you can't expose young players very early on in their careers to continual defeats and things because they're not ready but I'd rather see a club that nurtured Welsh talent and regarded some seasons as an investment in that you know they're, they're not going to be winning championships at that stage in their career. But that, you know, the, the 97 side was a product of that approach, wasn't it? You know, that a, a group of players came to maturity together because the club had invested in them over a period before that. And that, that's, that's the sort of Glamorgan side. I, I'd rather watch a Glamorgan side with plenty of Welsh players in it, even if it's having a bit of a struggle, than a sort of, you know, Glamorgan all sorts side where it's hard to spot the people who've come up through the Welsh game. I wasn't there, but I remember watching Javid Meandad knocking his unbeaten double century at Neath against Australia. Uh, I remember that game because Glamorgan, you know, they came in and they lost three wickets you know, relatively cheaply and in came Javid, in came Yunus Ahmed and between them they scored over 300 and undefeated and, and that was you know, 409 for three I think it was declared the, the final, the first innings. I thought that was an astonishing achievement to uh, to do that and to be undefeated at the end. And I remember that very, very well. And I know the two bats are on display in Neath Cricket Club, uh, which I think is a, is, a, is a great touch for the club as well. The greatest innings I ever saw was Gary Sobers. Uh, I remember walking around the ground in St. Helens and thinking, this man could do anything he likes. Before the ball is back in the bowler's hand, if he, if he said to himself, the next one is going, then that's where it would go. You know, he was in that sort of form. He was, so the, the single greatest innings I think I saw was, uh, was Gary Silvers. I saw a very young Australian team back in the early 1970s uh, where Morgan players were going down the steps in pairs uh, because the ferocity uh, of the Australian bowling uh, was such that, you know, you knew it wouldn't be long before you'd be in two. That was Dennis Lilly. And if you think he was, he was practically coming down the pavilion steps on his run up. You know, he was right back. To, he was running up from the boundary edge. And he was, you know, when people say you, you couldn't see the ball, generally, I used to think he was just a saying, isn't it? You just meant the ball was very fast. Was, but actually, you couldn't see the ball. It was so, he was bowling so quickly, completely smooth and well oiled and, and all of that. So, cricket's not on TV as it used to be. You know, you, when I was a kid, I know the money has to be followed. I know that, that there's much more cricket on TV these days than there was, no doubt about that. But the big events are not on, uh, are all on pay TV. And as a result of that, I just don't think cricket is... You know, rugby league's got the same problem. It doesn't get the same exposure as it used to. It hasn't got the same presence in people's minds that it used to. Certainly not compared to what the way things were in Wales in the 70s, where you, know, you could read off Glamorgan cricketers. Now it's a little bit more difficult because you don't see them on TV. Uh, if you're unless you've got pay TV, and I think that is getting the balance right between the money, which is important, and the exposure, is a challenge. Unless you're football, where you, where you know you can almost command whatever fee you want, that's the major challenge for any sport, and it's what rugby union is going through at the moment. Of course, this you know, what do we do with the Six Nations? You know, the, the game's cash strapped, but you know, if everything, if all the major games are on pay TV, 
you, you, the game loses exposure. And that's the big challenge for any sport. I live right by uh, Sandar Fields, so I'm very used to seeing a lot of recreational cricket going on um, in, in better times than we've had this summer. So it is still a thriving game at parks level and things like that. Uh, and um, obviously for the West, well, west of Carmarthen, really. You know, when you, by the time you get out to Pembrokeshire, you've got very competitive recreational leagues there that are still thriving and things. So I think you know, Welsh cricket depends, doesn't it? Not on you know, not on the sort of public school system because we'll never thrive uh, in that way. We we depend upon recreational and club cricket to provide a conveyor belt of talented players into the into the first class game so I think it's very important and I'm going to be hopeful that it continues to be rooted in those communities and played in the way it is. I think St Helens is a wonderful place to watch cricket because you're above it aren't you? You know you're above you're looking down and it does have an amphitheatre uh, feel to it. Uh, yeah no a great great place to to watch. Where would you be if you shut your eyes? Um, I would definitely I would be in St Helens the sun would be shining. I'd be looking down from the pavilion and you could smell the sea. There's always the wonderful thing about St. Helens when the tide is in, you can actually smell the sea in the air. Stephen asked each of the three guests for their message to recreational cricketers across Wales during these uncertain times. Well, I think it's just that we've, we've got all to hope that, you know, 2021 is a kinder year to us than and 2020 and that when the time comes when when we can start to do those things all over again that people will rediscover why they love the game and why they spend the hours with it that they do and that we, you know when we look back we'll think of this year as a genuine aberration and not as a year that set us off down a, a path that we wouldn't want to see you know sustained things will improve but it's always been the case that any sport, including cricket, has relied on an army of volunteers and people do it for the love of the game. People don't do it for recognition, but they do it because they want to be able to see some cricket play. They want to, give, to be able to give young people a chance to, to play sport. They want to make sure there are facilities in their community that enable sport to be played. And even though things are tough at the moment, particularly financially, uh, things will improve. No one knows when, but it won't always be this way. And it's massively important that when, as things start to return to something, closer to normality although a long way from normality but those facilities are there for those clubs in the future well the prospects in the future for cricket and wales in the immediate period of time are that all of us trying to stick to the rules to make sure that we can have cricket carrying on as far as possible for the next few weeks before we get to the end of september i think most sort of friendlies and things are going to come to an end then uh, and in the future um, we will get through uh, the coronavirus pandemic and I hope that people still look at the way that the international game is being broadcast and shown and to realise that that only exists because there are people like us who love the game at a local level. Um, people who want to turn up in the fourth and fifth team and play with their teenage sons and daughters. Um, people who want to turn up and watch the game, make the tees, turn up to nets and go out and play the game. And the whole thing doesn't exist without that in a way that... Um, you know, I think for the joy that I know cricket gives to so many people who play it, I definitely want to see cricket have a really healthy future. And at some point, you might see me, you know, turning over right arm military medium again um, in the next couple of years. But I hope that everyone continues to take part in what I think is a fantastic game 
and bring so much, not just on the pitch, but as I say, for me, all the social contacts and friendships I've had from it. And we can eventually get back to something more like normal. Thank you to our special guests this week. Diolch to Carolyn Jones, Mark Drakeford and Vaughan Gething. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email mwcpod1921 at gmail.com or contact us via the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast Facebook page or our Twitter page at Welsh Cricket Pod. Next week, a trip to the seaside and to the 19th century with Robin Varley, who has written about the history of cricket in Aberystwyth and the surrounding areas. Thanks for joining us. Diolch Gwylfan. <laughs>